Welcome to Investing Insights, partnered by Wright Property Group. This is your host, Phil Tarrant. Okay, everyone, it's Phil Tarrant here. I'm the host of Investing Insights with Wright Property Group. Thanks for joining us. This is our first episode of Series 2. We're back and um, we want to build on uh, the, a great first um, series. has been extremely popular, so I thank everyone for tuning into it. We enjoy doing this. We like getting into the meat of property investing and hopefully we can create better investors who are more educated and make better property investment decisions. I'm joined by my regular co-host, Steve Waters, Victor Kumar. How are you going, guys? Very well, well mate. So this is, this is new. We're in a different space here. This is a, a live recording in front of uh, an audience of uh, property <coughs> investors. What do you reckon? How are we going to go? I reckon we'll do all right. Yeah, it's all up to you. You reckon? Yeah, you're the host. <laughs> Win or fail, it's Steve, all on you. Steve's a bit nervous as usual. Yes, <laughs> he is. He's always a bit nervous. But um, if um, uh, if this is the first time you've joined us on this podcast, uh, thank you. Um, I hope you do enjoy it. If you're coming back from uh, uh, series number one, um, you might notice a slightly different uh, recording. So that's because we are in a. Uh, a room, it's quite a large room here, and uh, we're doing this sort of just with lapel mics. So it might not be our usual quality, but bear with us. I'm sure the information will be good. So, Steve, I was just fortunate to sit through a market update uh, from you, and um, as I said to, to our live audience here um, beforehand, um, I really enjoyed your frankness and honesty around it. You, you called it as it is, and, and you spoke particularly about the, the Perth market. I'm sure there's many people who would disagree with you, uh, the pundits who are trying to uh, grow. Um, property investment, the property market in the WA sort of sector, particularly within the Perth market, um, you painted a pretty bleak picture. And that's cool, and that's your position. That said, I'll frame that with you. You said there's some really good pockets of um, uh, Perth now, which offer some really good buying opportunities. Now, I just want to drill down on that. So there's markets within every single market, isn't there? And Perth now is really re- reflective of, of a, a two-stage market, right? There's mm-hmm. bits which are bottom, there's bits which you say are still too bottom, um, but there's some good buying opportunities. So what makes a good buying opportunity, Steve? How do you work that out? In the Perth market. In the Perth market. Look, I, as we touched on earlier, so we'll keep it really, really short in terms of this, this segment. Mm. Um, for me, it's about the vacancy rates over there and, and what's in the pipeline in terms of vacancy rates. If we get a cost of money increase, so interest rates uh, may go up, but I also think it's around the infrastructure and closer to the CBD, not necessarily the CBD, but not way out in the sticks either. So we're not talking about the mining camps, we're talking about the metro area. Um, I think that Perth is yet to bottom, generally speaking. Now I know, as we, we talked about earlier on, I, I, I can hear the phone ringing already in terms of- 1-800-STEEP-WATERS. Yeah, 1-800-STEEP-WATERS, smash me while you can. Um, I think, I, I think there's a few pockets there that are worth buying in, and they're, but they're not, they're not quick fixes. They're not instant equity or anything like that. These are, are really long-term holds, but it's about getting into a market at below cost of respla- replacement or construction. But the key is you, you need, a, you need a, uh, a decent yield cash flow to be able to support that property, perhaps while it has a little bit more period of very small growth um, before it starts to perpetuate. Very, very small areas. I think there's going to be a lot of areas there that are yet to um, feel the pain if we get a cost of increase in money. Okay, so just um, uh, for our listeners who are on the airwaves, um, it's obviously something very new and unique, and we're recording in front of a live audience, but it'd be remiss of me not to do a disclaimer. Um, just this is just it's us, a couple of guys having a chat. We're not giving any specific information to anyone. What we want to do is cover some themes and ideas around property investments. So, absolutely, um, just want to cover that off. But, um, you also spoke, Steve, really quickly about um, the changing world of finance. Um, uh, 
Um, I think every investor, myself included, have experienced uh, more challenging borrowing conditions over the, probably the last sort of year and a half, running up the two years. And you spoke about uh, some levers that have been pulled by the regulatory bodies around property, APA included. Mm. Um, for our listeners and, and, and for guys in the audience today that aren't too familiar with this, so these mechanisms that have been put in place, can you just outline them for me? Yeah, and, and Vic, will, Vic will chime in as, as well here mm. in terms of finance. But generally speaking, what we have is a, uh, the lender's books that are out of balance in terms of the ratio of an owner-occupied loans to investor uh, loans, and then also the ratio of interest-only loans versus principal and interest loans, throw them all into the pot together. Uh, it, there's no secret that the industry or that the property market has been very, very buoyant on the east coast over the last sort of four to five years and what APRA are trying to do uh, via pulling these levers in terms of balancing these numbers and ratios is to actually slow down lending. Now what that does to us as investors is it puts us all in the same boat. So there's a, there's a little bit of um, perhaps apprehension amongst investors saying well I can't get money and I can't get 90% loan to value ratios anymore, I can only get 80%. It's not the end of the world. We're all in the same boat. Anyone that gets a 90% loan now, generally speaking, they're going to pay for it versus, uh, via higher interest rates or, or what have you. So as an investor, what it does is it just slows down our leverage capabilities. But on the flip side, potentially gives us a little bit more equity within that property. And I don't think it's a bad thing. In fact, it's something that we've been talking about that needs to happen over the last two years is just to get things back in perspective in terms of the volume of investors within the market, perhaps perpetuating a market via FOMO uh, or via just purely because it's cheap money. Uh, and what we're seeing today is perhaps a balancing of those books or a softening or a forced softening of the market uh, via lending uh, or lack of lending uh, avenues. So I one think, of the biggest I think the, um, the biggest threat that property investors have right now with this changing finance is the fact that a lot of people that are coming off interest only won't be able to get another interest only term. And what would happen is those people that aren't right on their numbers, in, in other words, they're not aware of how much their portfolio is costing them right now, and the impact of getting onto a principal and interest loan at that point in time, they may end up in trouble. And, and uh, combine that with a rising interest rate climate, uh, we may, and, and coming back to your Perth comment, we may be in for a little bit of a hurt uh, in, in, in those investors that have leveraged themselves a bit too much, or have, because of the cheap money that's available right now, um, they've, um, they've basically spent a little bit too much in acquiring the properties rather than maintaining the numbers in terms of um, how much negative cash flow the properties are bringing in. So it's fairly important that anyone that's um, uh, going off an interest-only term, that they should be starting to talk to their lenders, to their brokers right now, before uh, their uh, loan actually goes, on to, um, goes off interest-only. It's about being in front of your numbers, really, because if you're in a position now uh, where you're coming up to three months' time and you roll off your interest-only loan into a principal and interest, scenario, that means you haven't been paying attention to your portfolio and at the end of the day you should really be looking 12 months ahead of yourself uh, when it comes to mm. you know, that particular thing rolling from interest only to P&I, but not only that, just in terms of where you, the cost of money is, is heading, is it going Absolutely. up, is it going down, is it going sideways. Once you start to build a significant portfolio and once again significant is in the eye of the beholder, it might be one property or, or ten, 
Um, but if we average it out and say, say five properties over a, a lifetime, um, that's a lot of dough on the line. You know, if we go from, what are we now, 4.8, mm-hmm. 4.9% as a variable rate. Wish I was getting that. you're special Um, say 5% then it wasn't too long ago that 5% was awesome and we would we'd we'd group hug and high five Mm. saying look we've got 4.99 let's let's lock that stuff down Mm -hmm. for the next five years and I know I I did that none of us had ever seen it before but now we're back at 5% and people are bitching and carrying on saying what you know the world's ending we're not even back at normality yet in terms of where it really should be yeah the future, though, however, nobody knows what the future holds. Nobody, if we start throwing in what the, you know, the, the US Fed's doing and, and what we're doing and, and what the rest of the economy's doing, you'll do your head in trying to predict what rates are going to do. Just look at the fundamentals and worry about your own cash flow. And if you're not uh, comfortable with not knowing what the future is, lock your rates. Lock them for five years. At least you'll know what, you can, what, what you're going to be for the next five years or three years or two years. So one of the... Um the, the key reasons why APRA intervened is because of this, uh, this belief that um, investors were pushing up property prices mm. too quickly and therefore creating this magical bubble that everyone talks about. Um, and I don't want to dig into that, we've spoken about it a lot. You can go and find it wherever you want to, you get plenty of uh, information around it. But the, the point being, um, there's markets within markets. So we're speaking about WA where things are pretty tough out there right now. Yeah. Um, Auction clearance rates, and we had a bit of a brief before, beforehand, Steve, um, uh, quite positive in, in, in Melbourne recently. Sydney's cooling a little bit. Um, Brisbane, obviously, is quite low, but that's just the nature of the marketplace. So plenty of investors in the market. APRA says, let's slow you guys down. That's going to hurt some markets. Um, it's softened Sydney to some degree, some would yeah. argue. Um, but they've been talking about a slowdown in the city market for five years, and it just keeps going up and up and up. Yeah. So let's talk about it's difficult, more difficult to get money right now. Should you stop investing as a result of it, or should you be changing where you're investing as a result of that? I think that depends on where your own, where your portfolio is up to, but also depending on your own cash flow position. You know, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in time in the market. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of people out there at the moment in, in terms of property commentators that talk about it's not really time in the market, it's about timing the market. And you do, you do need a combination of both, but these people are talking about, don't worry about time in the market. If you can time it beautifully, you'll make a, a gazillion dollars. Um, but that's gambling because mm. no one is that good. No one, I don't care who you are, you're not gonna predict a bottom or a top of a market or when it's gonna start tracking. You're really relying upon the fundamentals, the cash flow and then time in the market. And that's what we've been doing for, for many, many years now, many cycles, in fact, and that's a really key point. But I think if you, if you, if you really want to invest in, say, a Sydney market, and we'll, we'll talk about Sydney just because that's where we are today, um, and you're, you're really only wanting to, to invest in it because you've got this fear of missing out on the potential growth, then I'd probably suggest that, and you're an investor, not a home occupier, then I'd suggest that perhaps you rerun numbers worst, po- worst possible scenario. What happens if it doesn't grow? What happens if you buy in at, what's the average price now, house and land package, 800,000 or something like that? Much, yeah. What happens if you buy that as an investor and it doesn't grow and 2,000 other properties come online at the same time and your rent drops by 25 to 30%, worst case scenario, but that's how you got to roll. Can you live with that? Can mm. you survive? Or are you better g- going for perhaps a safer option, which is out of your geographical boundary and looking at other states, other areas of New South Wales, 
something that's going to give you um, that sleep at night factor. So, so Victor, um, th we're talking about finance right now. So yeah. rates are going to go up at some point in time. When that's going to happen, no one knows. But um, you can dig down into the macro microeconomics, looking at what's happening globally, domestically, jobs growth, all these different factors. Um, we said that if you're concerned about interest rates rising and how that's going to impact on your ability to hold property, you can lock your rates in. But what else should investors be thinking about when it comes to finance right now? Say they want to be, the, 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 um, uh, the thesis being, we want to keep buying more properties. What do you need to be doing? Look, absolutely. And, and uh, just to backtrack one, um, I've been investing for almost 20 years, and the average interest rate has been 6%. We have higher than that. We've got lower than that. But when you average it all out, even during the GFC, including the GFC, it's been 6%. So what we need to be doing is, running the numbers at 6%. So if you can tolerate a 6% interest rate on your current portfolio, consider adding to it, right? If you can't tolerate 6% in your current portfolio, you need to look at other options to say, okay, if the interest rates did actually go to that and beyond, how am I going to survive? Will I lose my home? Will I lose my properties? And, and a good uh, mix of what we do for our clients is that when we're building a portfolio, we, we handpick properties and, and it's like, like a jigsaw puzzle. So we have the bigger picture, which is their goal, and we're putting in the properties in like pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to unfold the, unfold the picture. Right? Uh, and one of the properties or a few of the properties that we would put in their portfolio quite deliberately is a property where you can put a secondary dwelling on or you can add value to, to increase the yield. And these are in metropolitan areas. Uh, and so someone uh, that, that's really uh, not getting the sleep at night factor um, with a 6% interest rate right now, they should be considering adding on their secondary dwelling now before they actually need it. The secret of investing and the secret of retaining your portfolio is to have the money on hand before you need it, not when you need it. By the time you come to when you need it, it's already six months. Most investors, it'll be six months after the fact that they actually realize that they're in trouble. And then, then it becomes an unraveling thing and, and you, you are always then trying to catch up. Which is why we talk about liquidity in the market. Mm. So the biggest argument between shares or share investors uh, and property investors is just how quick you can be liquid. So a share you can put on the market and you've sold it in 30 seconds. Um, and you, and you, so it's quite a liquid asset. Uh, property's not that. It, you know, there's, a, there's a turnaround period of minimum three months. Three months. Uh, time you decide to sell something before you have the money in your pocket. But you can circumnavigate that, that liquidity issue by just having, whether it be an offset, a redraw, a line of credit, tapping into your equity essentially, that takes care of that. And this is where, I suppose, being in front of your portfolio, having regular reviews, being invested in your own knowledge within your own portfolio pays dividends because so there is a market crash, which I don't think there is. Um, but if we go back to the GFC, which was actually a question from the last podcast, um, which was talking about the GFC, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, the GFC was awesome. Like, yeah, there were some people that got hurt, but for those that were prepared, those that were liquid as a property investor, it was a pretty awesome time. So is that timing the market, is it? 
that's being what, ready. That's that's <laughs> that's that's a, that's actually a really good point. That's a timing, timing the market. That but that was being opportunistic. Absolutely. So an opportunity yeah. comes when there's a change in the market. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and we've spoken about this beforehand, um, good property investment, a lot of it, it comes out as being opportunistic. And, mm. and you know, I get asked all the time, Phil, what, why do you use a, a buyer's agent? And I always go, because I get to be opportunistic. I don't do it myself, but I know I've got people out there who can grab stuff when I need it. And, and often you buy properties when people, and I want to get onto this about sort of mistakes that people make. You, you know, the best buyers is when you're buying with someone else's misfortune. And that sounds really bad. Um, but it's often the best bargains. Um, mm. And you buy the best properties at the right time under market value. Um, just moving on from, from property, uh, sorry, finance, Victor. Um, but before I do, hand, do so, how conscious do you really need? So everyone's probably sitting there thinking, finance, I can't get it, or I can get it, I'm worried about it. How would you summarize your, your, your um, attitude toward finance now and into the future? Like a nice, sentence for when people get back to the point of saying, should I concern myself with what we do? Sure. Uh, um, and I think to summarize it, one of the key things is we sh you should not be interest rate focused, but opportunity focused based on your scenario. So if someone else is getting said 3.6 and you can only get 6%. I'm paying 5.2. 5 5.2, right? Yeah. So, and, and their loans out do there, they right? Do know who now. you are? <laughs> no, obviously don't. It's probably why they charge you more. Right. <laughs> They're probably charging a premium because you're a needy client. Yeah, right? so. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm a needy client. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, for someone like, like you, it, that was an opportunity cost, right? Mm. If, you, if you had focused on saying, no, no, I want my, I want my 4% rather than the 5, 5.6, you have lost the opportunity. So the key thing with, with what most people get wrong is they get so focused on the interest rate that they actually lose focus of the opportunity that they're missing out on. So one of the key things that you need to look at is, can I afford this property? And can I then sort out the finance in a hard market? So if the finance is getting even, even harder, am I able to rejig my portfolio by possibly changing lenders, possibly changing um, uh, the approach that you're taking in terms of uh, getting your finance done, um, can I find liquidity within my equities? In other words, find a way to keep your equity liquid using finance. Yeah, because there's, if, if you tie that in with hot spotting and all these secret spots that everybody talks about and what have you, there's no secret spots. You know, things become uh, very much aware to the general public after a very short period of time, whether it be via you know, avenues like you guys or the domain or realestate.com, whatever it may be, the statistics start to tell numbers in terms of growth. There's no secret spots. It's how you play within that spot that is going to give you the rewards. And that is being opportunistic, being finance prepared, diligent, uh, ready between your ears, which is often a, a, a really big um, part of the, the, the deal, so to speak. No secret spots, it's how you play within it, is the bottom line. So to your point, Victor, um, and this is the mantra, the best time, it's always a good time to invest in property if you can afford to invest in Absolutely. property. That, Absolutely. That's, yep. That holds true? Yep. yep. So you've got to change the investing strategy, realign the investing strategy, in other words, the type of property you're buying. In other words, it's yield position, it's equity position, in line with the market. Because you always need to take the approach that things will go wrong mm. and you will have to offload that property extremely easy to get into a property transaction, substantially harder to get out of it. Just keep that in mind. So um, 
Uh, now, I've been very open about the mistakes we've made in investment property, which fortunately, most of them being sort of missed opportunity costs rather than dire financial mm -hmm. uh, costs. Finance is somewhere where people uh, go wrong in property, but there's a lot of other areas where you can completely sort of, you know, miss, miss the boat uh, in terms of investing in property. Um, I don't want to go through all of them, but just a couple of real head, headline um, uh, common mistakes that investors make that absolutely cost them everything that hopefully the guys here today and, and our listeners um, can avoid. Vic, we were just uh, going to Going to a seminar and, uh, you know, deciding that that's the, that's the new thing that you, you're going to miss out because there's someone stood up on a soapbox and said that's the next thing that you should do. It always comes back to fundamentals. The, the minute you start deviating from the fundamentals, you will start losing money. Mm. Uh, don't chase the quick win. It's the slow and steady race that you're running. And Steve? Um, What's the worst you've seen in terms of um, the mistakes that people just get wrong or time and time again and you just go, why do they do it? Why do they do it? Look, I'd, probably the worst mistake I've ever seen ever is um, someone that bought a studio apartment in far north Queensland and I can't remember the numbers, uh, but they paid, they came to us and said, how do we undo this? And they bought a studio apartment cash unencumbered, so no debt whatsoever. Uh, and it was rented for, let's call it 50 weeks of the year, which in all the paperwork showed it. But even being unencumbered and rented for 50 out of the 52 weeks a year, it was still negative cash flow. And was it going up in value though? No. No, it was no, going down in value. It's far north Queensland, come on now. <laughs> it's, um, it, He's got to get hate mail from there. I know, right? <laughs> I just, you know, and I thought of one particular person, we just know that, and just an idiot. Um, but that, th there was never a reason why you should have bought that. Like, it, it had every big black mark against it. Service department, complex of about you know, 2,000 um, other dwellings in there, over 55s. Um, it just had everything that you shouldn't have done. Now, unfortunately, these people were at a later stage of life as well, so you know, they're, they're really hamstrung on where they can go now. But you know, if you're buying a property and you haven't run the numbers where you've got no debt and it's still negative, there's got to be a little bit of onus upon you and take a little bit of responsibility mm. um, as well. But I think that the common thing that we see having, what is it, 20 years of doing this, mm -hmm. well, they're about you a bit older, but... <laughs> That I look younger though, right? <laughs> that probably is people get bored. Yeah. So what they want to do is they change something up that's been working for them and they may have read a magazine, a good one, um, or that they may have you know, been on a forum or what have you where this has been working for me now and I've created a portfolio of X amount of properties and I've got some equity, the cash flow is pretty cool, but I'm bored. So let's try this shiny thing, which is, I don't know, developing. Yep. Let's go all in on that, or let's do something that is so against the grain of what you're now used to, and it's been working for you. So they've changed what's yeah. working, yeah. and, and trying something new. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with trying something new, but you don't, you just don't change the whole strategy or, or the whole scenario. So is that, that a common mistake then? You, you duck and dive between strategies? All the time. All the, time. Yeah. The, amount, the, the amount of people that we that we see that come and, and just say, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you know, buying this 100 unit site in Maryland's, not that there's anything wrong with Maryland's, but you know, something that, that they're just not, they've never developed in their, li in their life before, but this is something that they're gonna go uh, all in. Now, 
once again, you've got to walk and, and crawl and learn how to do that, but people get bored very, very easy. Boredom is the biggest killer of property investors along with greed and ego. Okay, that's fair. And, and you can't get rich overnight investing in property. No, not at all. And it, you know, this is the problem that we have, is that this, this and I'm on a bit of a band, bandwagon soapbox scenario now, but the biggest thing, the difference between this cycle versus last cycle is technology without a doubt. So mm. people have the ability now to be able to see what everybody else is doing via social platforms and what have you. So you're benchmarking yourself against other people. You're taking um, what is on social media as fact. You're taking what's on property forums or share forums or banana forums, whatever you're investing in, as fact. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of keyboard warriors that wouldn't know anything front or back. So how do you cut door. the noise out? Because it's really... Yeah. Well, you can't cut the noise out. At some point in time, you've got to rely upon your own diligence. And yeah. even though... Um, I think when, when, you, when you're using professionals, the first question you could ask is, how many property cycles have you seen? I mean, everyone can be a hero in this property cycle. Mm. That's actually a really good point. So it's not about how many, how many doors, how many properties you've got, or how many have you transacted. It's about how many cycles have you been through? What's the good, the bad, the ugly have you seen? Because our fear is that there's a lot of property experts out there, pop-up mm. advisors, if you will, um, that have seen nothing other than the last five years of of investing. To, to be fair, you know, um, and I talk about with, with our portfolio, we've had exceptional growth and um, massive growth. You know, yeah. and and and, and I'm, I'm the first. I'm a cynic. Right? I'm a journal. I go, if something's too good to be true, it's got to be something that's not true about it. And and I'm really hard on our portfolio. And, mm. and you guys give me a hard time about it. We we stress test it. And we challenge it. And we've got a good accountant that does the same thing. It's a good portfolio. We could have done it a lot better, but you know, we can be an absolute hero. We've only been in this game for six years, and we invest in the city market at the right time. And Guess what? You know we've had great gains. Um, you know we're about to go through a phase now of, of softening markets. So mm -hmm. let's have a look to see how we go. But these sort of armchair warriors, these mm. pop-up property experts, um, of which there are many, lots. Um, yeah. So so one of the common mistakes is listening to the wrong people. And those people might be some bloke at a barbecue that said, oh, "I just put an off-the-plan apartment in Bangaroo or whatever, and I made a bazillion mm. out of it." Mm. You know you've got to cut that noise out, and it can be very very hard to do it. Massively hard because you know, I. I I'm looking at a few different things at the moment, and I'm, I'm probably the worst Dr. Google there is. Like, mm -hmm. I'll find good or bad in anything, whatever I'm looking for mm. at that time. Investors are no different. I think it is just surrounding yourself with people that have perhaps walked the walk, um, that have had a result or had a loss so that you can learn off them. But if you go one out, um, you can get lucky, and a lot of people have got lucky, but at the end of the day, you're not utilising what's there. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about us. Mm. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of good education out there as, as well. Uh, yes, you have to pay for it, but yeah, so be it. Yeah, that's, it's a cost of business. So one of the biggest mistakes in is, is not being educated. And, oh, for and, sure. And I remember yeah. early doors when, when I met you guys, um, um, and I've spoken about this a lot, I think one of the, the key mistakes people make is they think that property is a passive investment, as in you can outsource the responsibility mm. for your property portfolio to someone else. And oh, it's not passive, yeah. Like, I mean, well, even you'd know that, and Michael would know that, the amount of emails that you'd get on a weekly basis in regards to your portfolio would be huge. Yeah. It, um, property's not passive. In any That's way, shape, or yeah. form, you need to keep putting in. And if you're, getting, if you're not getting any emails from your, your property managers or your buyer's agents or your finances, your accountants, then you should be having meetings about your numbers mm. and keeping ahead of that. It, um, it's, a, it's a beast that you've got to keep on top of. And, and the good investors, are absolutely dialed right in to their own scenario, for sure. And and good investors, obviously, um, uh, most good investors I know are always thinking about 
growth in their portfolio or, or tweaking it, improving its cash flow, finding new assets which can have a bit of an upside potential. And, and, and you touched on those, Victor. Um, um, you, you, you've both, and you always have done, champion this whole idea of diversification. I just want to touch on that for a second because I think it's a really good point, diversification. A lot of people think about diversification when it comes to investment as, as in, do I invest in shares or property mm -hmm. or put more on my super or I buy wine or whatever. And, and you touched on shares about the liquidity of shares and you speak to share traders, I'll talk about these benefits. You know, I'd respond to that saying, um, shares are very sort of, uh, um, they're driven by sentiment, whereas it's hard to change property markets because of sentiment because it takes, takes so long to move it. So as an investment asset or an asset class, uh, a lot of stability around it and hence the reason why a lot of Australians invest in it. But you talk about the need for diversification and, and we have a diversified portfolio and diversified by there's houses and units in there. We're in four, three different states across Australia. Um, we have some great cash flow properties. We have some great capital growth properties. We have now assets which include uh, you know, multiple properties on a particular block. So it's reasonably diversified and we can diversify it even further. Um, the question is, you know, how and when do you actually start this diversification process? Because we said it's okay for things to be boring and when you're building your portfolio, you might get a couple of inverted commas, boring assets, which are just good capital growth or yielding properties, but you need to diversify. So when's the time to do it, Steve? How do you work it out? Uh, you could look at a whole scenario of different re uh, reasons or, or, or times to diversify. The most obvious ones would be around land tax mm -hmm. uh, as, an, as an example. Um, but then having said that, if I go back and use some real examples and, and look at a lot of people's in this room's portfolio, including yours and mine and, and Vic's, um, we were all in on the western suburbs and that southwestern corridor throughout Sydney because it made just pure sense. And we're talking about that tonight all the way from the Parramatta Railway line all the way back down into down to Wollongong yeah. Yeah? and north up to the central coast because it made absolute fundamental sense. So we were all in. Now, when I say all in, that doesn't mean that every single cent that we had was there, but it was, it was sort of diversified amongst different suburbs, different areas throughout the Sydney basin and north and south as we talked about. Um, but we also had a bit of exposure in other states. But for the normal person, there's nothing wrong with exploiting an area as long as you've got your T's crossed and your I's dotted. And more importantly, you've also got some exit strategies uh, and you've got buffers and, and risk mitigation in place. But probably land tax is the big one. Um, but then the flip side of that is just because you've made awesome money, once again using the southwestern corridor or the western corridor as an example, that you actually don't go on to rape and pillage your properties forever and ever and ever and just take every ounce of equity out of them. Then there needs to be an end point uh, where you know, you've got massive amounts of equity in there. Because at the end of the day, that's your wealth. Mm. You know, the cash flow is only there to be able to support it till you get to that point. And I think, I think the, the, uh, one of the key things about diversification, a lot of people get mistaken to say that, okay, I've got to diversify. I've got properties in, in Sydney. I've got properties in Brisbane. I've got two here now. I need to go in a different state. Uh, and and that, that, that might not be true because you need to look at it from a, from a logical point of view, right? So let's say you had two properties in Logan as an example. Different suburbs. So Logan's got many suburbs, different suburbs. Um, in my opinion, that's fairly diversified, right? It would be madness, though, because Logan has got thousands of properties, right? It'd be madness, though, to have three properties in a suburb that's out on its own and it's only got 30 properties. That's not diversification. That's, that's suicidal. 
Mm. So we need to be looking at it from that point of view that uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter in, in the sense of where your properties are so long as you're just a small portion of that market and you've got the different types of properties that you can um, do different things with and it is in line with what the tenants want in that area. There's no sense buying a one bedroom studio or a studio apartment uh, in an area that's predominantly the, the tenant preferences for houses hmm. where you'll be vacant and, and, that, and if you're doing that just for the sake of diversifying the type of property that you've got, you've just chosen the wrong area. And Victor, you've, you've been in this game for a little while, both as an investor and, and also as a, a property advisor. Um, and it's an evolutionary thing, I know you tell me this, but how has your attitude towards diversification sort of changed as you've become more experienced? Uh, it's a journey, right? Uh, yeah, it is a journey. And, and when I started out, I invested in my own backyard quite by default because um, um, that's all I knew. Um, and it was within my comfort zone. And it is only after I, I got myself educated enough and, and started saying, okay, the fundamentals that have worked in where I've invested in the beginning, I can pick that up and see where it fits in all of Australia. And that would give me relatively the same result, provided there's a few caveats, right? It, it's not beyond my means. In other words, the cash flow is not beyond my means. The population is trending upwards, and, and you've got to support it with ground truth, not just data behind a desktop. The yields are high enough so that because you know, growth usually follows yield and you're not dependent on just the one or two industries. There's enough jobs around. And if you stick to those fundamentals, I, I, think, I think you can't go wrong. Mm. And that'll also you know, keep you away from investing in the likes of the states at the moment that are actually trending flat or trending downwards and also answer your questions of, okay, do I still invest in Sydney? or uh, do I invest in Brisbane, do I invest in, in Melbourne? It'll answer all of those questions because you, you're then addressing fundamentals based on your own financial fingerprint, not, not the person next to you who's, who, whose uh, portfolio may make sense to buy in Sydney at potentially the peak of the market because they've got the ability to hold on and they've got no exposure here. So I'm gonna pin you guys down on this and um, we, we've already answered this question, uh, which is, you know, um, what successful investors are doing today. And we've said they cut out the noise, they don't get confused or, or um, go down the wrong track because of hearsay or reading the wrong stuff or listening to the wrong people. Victor, to your point, and I've been the same, you, you, you have a strategy, you stay the course in that strategy, you try and apply it in different markets, but if you can keep that strategy consistent, it's what I've done, it's what you guys have done. Give me five other things that you see day to day um, of what the, the, the best investors are doing in today's current market. Two from you, Victor. What are they? Thank God, there's only oh, two, no, right? I thought he was going to go like five, five eight. eight. So You've got three. Uh, my mind was going overdrive. <laughs> I've given you two, so you can't use those. But, uh, so what was the question again? What, 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 what are the best investors doing in today's market? So the best investors in today's market, first of all, they're, they're being finance ready. They're making their equity liquid, right? So they're not painting themselves in a corner where they've used up all of their money. There is no money there to, one, grab an opportunity if it comes up. Or, or secondly, um, to get them out of a sticky situation. Because as, t as um, investors, you have Murphy's Law, right? Just, just when you've got no money left in your account, you, all your hot water systems would go, you, you need, uh, you know, you, you'll have two or three vacant properties and, and so forth. So that, that's, that's number one, which is um, uh, you know, paramount, keep your equity liquid. And the second is that don't buy for the sake of buying. The, the good investors are actually 
timing their, their purchases so that it is in line with what their goals are and where they're heading in terms of their portfolio. So just, just because everyone else is buying uh, in a particular area, they're not following the herd. They're following uh, a, a purchase and a purchase strategy that'll get them closer to their goal. Okay, two, two good ones, Victor. Steve, three. Oh, they're pretty crap, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank God he chose me first, right? Uh, <laughs> no, they were good, Vic, thanks, mate. Um, I'd say focus, like 100% focus all the time, not just while you're in your acquisition phase, but focus forever and ever. So that means taking care of your numbers, things like, you know, things like that, because that'll lead on to a whole heap of different other things, being liquid, having buffers in place, risk mitigation, being opportunistic, um, so on and so forth. The other, the other really, really big one, which is something that is around today that when you and I first started investing, uh, wasn't around, and that's people. Yep. Like other people didn't talk about it, didn't do it, and if they did do it, it was a bit of a closed secret society back then. It wasn't something that you just talked about. Um, now, there's a million different forums. There's a, like forums like this, um, forums like that we do in Melbourne and, and what have you, but there's expos, there's all of this sort of stuff where you can actually mix and mingle with other investors and learn from them and learn what to do, what not to do. Um, back then, when we first started, there was like... There was Information is a lot easier to get to right now. Yeah, which is also a bit of a curse as well. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, uh, number, my second one would be surround yourself with like-minded people. Yeah, have an open mind when you meet with the other people because they might be on a different strategy than you and have different fundamentals and different income levels and goals and what have you. That's, that's all right, that's cool. Um, but at least have an open mind, so mix with um, like-minded like -minded people. Uh, and number three for me would be, I'd say cash flow is king to this day always is, always has been, always will be. And the people that believe that cash flow isn't king are the people that are only been around right now or they've forgotten the hard times. Uh, and they're just used to phenomenal growth and they're living off equity to a degree mm. or propping up their portfolios to a degree via equity. And they've forgotten that cash flow, that's, that's, the, that's the key to it all. That's what's I, gonna... I think we need to explore that a bit more, uh, Steve, in, in terms of cash flow, right? So often when we talk about cash flow, the first thing that, that, that people that haven't uh, heard us speak before, they, they uh, question to say, okay, are we buying in regional areas? Yeah, so or are they positive yeah, cash flow? Yeah. And we're not talking it, about it's that. It's not necessarily so. that. Cash flow to one person is different to others. So what, what Steve's referring to is that it's a tolerance level in terms of your ability to hold on to the portfolio without impacting lifestyle. Cash flow management. That's right. Yeah, and that's not just about upping rents, negotiating interest rates, it's actually about buying in areas that give you a good head start with reasonable cash flow. Mm -hmm to begin with. I mean, as a side note, one of, the, one of the things we look for is it's actually cheaper to own it than it is to rent it in terms of the mortgage sometimes. That's a pretty good head start, mm. as long as it's in a metro area and all that other sort of good stuff with it. But they would be my three. That's good. And we'll write up an article uh, on this for, for our listeners on smartpropertyinvestment.com.au a bit. I'll summarise those five points. Um, be finance ready, so um, you want to get keep your equity liquid. Um, don't buy for buying sake, makes sense. Don't get FOMO and think you're missing mm -hmm. out. Um, you've got to keep connected with your portfolio and keep focused. So good management of your portfolio. Um, uh, the need for networking with peers, uh, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, and um, cash flow is king to the final point. And I'd probably add what my observations are, working with a lot of investors and, and chatting with a lot of them. Uh, the good investors um, in today's market are investing for tomorrow. So they're finding assets which make sense right now, 
corporate cash flow and capital mm -hmm. growth, but they're looking for upside properties where they might be able to manufacture a bit of equity through a, a Renault or some, some, some kind of cosmetic Renault or something a little bit more significant, chuck a granny flat on the back of it, or something that might be able to knock down a rebuild in the future. So good zoning. So these are what the good investors are doing right now. And I know up in the Brizzy market, um, um, there's a big shift in zoning that's been taking place in the neighbourhood zones. So some people are doing really, really well out of that. But I think they're real some four really good points. Um, I think we're time for some questions, guys. Um, we've sort of spoken about the market, and um, I don't want to drill down on that too much. Um, questions? Yeah, to the sure. floor. Let's do it. Have we got a mic uh, ready to roll? Who's going to be our first question for this evening? Um, it's down here. That's right. We can have a bit of a gap. Adam, Adam here will stitch out this and make it nice and uh, clean. Sorry, just uh, what's your name? My name's Luke. Okay, Luke, what's your question, mate? Okay. Uh, Steve said about you know what the focus, and he said about what's between your ears and focusing on. But as an investor, how do we? What would? What advice would you give in terms of working on your mindset? Um, and what? You, what do you do to work on your mindset? That's that's actually really good because, without sounding like an idiot, but I will. <laughs> you know, years ago, I didn't actually really think too much about mindset. Now that sounds double superlative. Uh, you know, I just thought, you know, just do it. Just get in, just do it. Um, you know, you're ultimately responsible for your own future and end and, and goal. But what I found is, especially in something that you're dealing with millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, you actually needed some support around you. And whether that be just fine-tuning a thought process or an idea or a strategy or, or whatever it may be was, was absolutely imperative because you don't know what you don't know. And there are a lot smarter people out there within certain um, avenues, spheres, realms, whatever it may be. So to keep, for me to keep my mindset sharp, um, it's just enjoy it. Like for me, this is what I do. This is what I, you know, I just love property because I can, it's just my thing, you know? But if I was doing the same sort of thing, you know, I don't know, painting, I don't think I'd have the same passion for it. So I wouldn't, I'd struggle to keep my mindset right. But it, I think if you enjoy it, you see the results and you live it, you breathe it whilst you're enjoying it, your mindset will take care of yourself. But stay away from negative people and stay away from market commentators that just have no clue or have a vested interest behind it. Yep. That's good. I'd, I'd add to that, um, there's, there's a lot of things in this game that you can't control from investment. You know, yeah. you're victims of market. You can't dictate what banks are going to do or regulatory bodies are going to do. You can't influence where the market's going to shift. But what you can do is that you get to make a decision every morning about how you see the world. And if you choose to wake up and uh, gear yourself for be optimistic and, and take control of your own future, you're halfway there. Um, to Steve's point, don't, don't, don't lend your mind to people who are negative. Um, you've got to surround yourself with positive people. And you're fortunate you've got a lot of people here in the room today and there's probably investment community who see the world that way. So, any more questions? Uh, over here. We had a quick chat uh, to, to your point. You're probably going to ask it, but uh, yeah. Sorry, what's your, what's your name? Hi, my name's Mark. Um, the portfolio that you set up, Bill, is like super inspirational. Like, you've done really well. So, for a beginner investor, how did you start out with that, and like, what what sort of cash flow were you pumping into that uh, from the very outset to be able to get the the results that you've got now? It's a good question. Um, I'm I'm the first to put my hands up and say uh, the portfolio that I've built is 
not because of me. You know, I, I had the right mindset. I said, I want to create wealth through property and, and, and I'm going to empower myself to do it. But I was smart enough, fortunate enough to um, surround myself with the right people who have been absolutely integral in that, these, these guys included. Um, my experience through property is probably not that dissimilar from these guys or a lot of people in the room is that a bit of an accidental multi-property investor. So I never sat down at, at point go and said, I can afford this much money per week in order for me to hold these assets. Um, this is the sort of language I started thinking about and using much later on once I was sort of four or five properties in. Started going, hang on a second, this is a, quite a significant moving beast now with a lot of moving parts that I can orchestrate changes to my portfolio and my cash flow position by making some good decisions around increasing rents or um, potentially adding new properties into my portfolio which were more cash flow orientated rather than capital growth properties and, and Victor will call that pigeon pairing. Um, right now I'm a lot more conscious about um, uh, my cash flow position um, and this is what it costs me every single week, month, day, whatever to hold my property investment portfolio moving forward. You've got to remember that um, um, the taxation component of your, your property becomes uh, um, uh, important once a year when you do your tax return, but you've got to be able to hold these properties over the course of that, that period to, to sleep well at night. You know, you guys work with a lot of, lot of different investors and I imagine my story is quite similar, quite similar yeah. in terms of yeah. you don't really know till you know and it starts becoming either an issue or a problem or, or something which is a benefit. Yeah, Steve, and if, and if it's you? I think you've, you've, you've described yourself really, really well in terms of their portfolio because you know, I, I go back and I remember that very first auction that we went to um, and, and some people are nervous in their initial stages that's what Phil wasn't or if he was he didn't he didn't show it but what Phil is and what we'd urge everybody to be and I'd, and I'd suggest most people are in the room is he's super tight like he knows everything that's going on you know he, he, he may come across pretty blasé and, and relaxed and chilled but yeah you know, he knows every number in and out you know, between him and, and, and Michael there as well. So when you know where you are at any one point in time, it gives you pretty, pretty clear direction on where you're going to go as well in terms of finance and, and what's the next uh, asset in, in that portfolio. You know, if you ask Phil right now, how many kitchens does he have in a shed somewhere in New South Wales? I'd be surprised if there's not one or two. Like he's that tight. He's the... <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Half, but I've got more tiles waiting for renovation. Yeah, no, and he does. You've and, but, and, and this <laughs> is it, because this is how serious and how we talk about focus. Mm -hmm. um, like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. A dollar saved is really $2 earned. Mm. And yeah, having tiles, boxes and boxes of tiles on the same. I've got like, pallets of tiles. I've just got to wait to buy back into Sydney before I can use them. Um, but it, it's that sort of focus and, and that sort of perhaps... Um, that sort of reality that you want to sink yourself into pays the dividends. If you, if you come at this sort of half-assed and, and pretty relaxed uh, and treating it like a hobby, more opposed to a business, it'll bite you pretty hard. Phil's not that person. So just, just to this point, Victor, let me spin that around. Um, if I'm new to investing, should I be deciding whether or not I should become a property investor by how much I can afford in negative cash flow is that a good place to start? It is a good is that, place is that to start. Is that a mature yeah. place to yeah. start? It is absolutely a mature yeah. place to start. Most people um, start investing before they've put that thought through, uh, and um, often then they're following their herd in terms of where they're buying. So you know, if um, their friends are buying off the plans, they end up buying off the plans. If their friends are buying 
acreage they start buying acreage or housing land packages the the key is that you need to be focusing on what negative cash flow component you can sustain without impacting lifestyle then it, that tends After to tax go before tax or just before tax, day -day before tax. Before tax. Yeah. money in never money never yeah. take tax into account and is something that's just a added bonus because that can change in a flash you could lose your job you could you could um, you know change employment from PAYG to self-employed and you know you'd have no money for the first six months as an example depreciation or, or the, yeah, the sovereign yeah. risk the government may change the rules it's out of your hands so why take into account something that you can't control uh, are, you, are you currently investing or thinking about it you are an investor okay do, nice. do, you, do you have a number that you know that you can you can afford every single week or month yeah um, so, so I've, I've so I've done my sums, and um, and I've I've worked out that I can afford two hundred and fifty dollars per week before tax that I can, you know, I, I can live without that, and so I've gone okay, that's what I can invest. So and what's what's your current property costing you per week? Uh, minus three hundred dollars. So you already beyond no, no, your limit. So this, so this is different. So, okay. So so. That's costing me three hundred dollars. I've got an extra, like another two fifty uh -huh. yeah. that I can spend. Mm. Per week. And is that without giving up stuff? Like, is that just? Oh, oh no, yeah. Like, so I've sat down, I've done my budget, and like, like I'm not going on overseas holidays. Mm. But, but that's you know that's the sacrifice you're willing to make. That, that's the sacrifice I want to make for the next five years to to get the ball right. Nice. And I think that's a smart move. Like you've gone that far to say, well, you know, here's your, here's your threshold in terms of negative cash flow. Um, there's a lot of people that don't do it. Yeah. Like massive amounts of people that don't do it. So, yeah, well done. Yep. The, first, the first couple of properties, are, for anyone that's starting, the first couple of properties is relatively easy because you're coming up to a threshold. But after that, it becomes substantially harder to add to that portfolio without dragging yourself down. So it's really important that we start addressing numbers from day one. So you can continually edit as building blocks into the portfolio. So can you talk to me about pigeon pairing there? So this so, can help yep. with this cash flow. Okay, absolutely. So if, if we take take your example uh, in the sense that let's say we bought another property and you're now at say 200, the, the new property that you bought has brought you to another $200 a week negative cash flow. So you've only got $50 left in tolerance per week, uh, which is, Okay, you could you could you could uh, still hold on to the portfolio, but ideally, what I would be doing in, in in that case, let's say that's the maximum you could afford, and that's that's after that your borrowing capacity is gone, your lifestyle's gone. The the second property I would buy would be something that's going to give me a much higher yield, to drop the 300 negative that that I'm already carrying down a bit, so that I've got the the um, ability then to buy a third property down the track when when the time is right so that I'm still not breaching my total negative cash flow. So uh, often we, we buy properties and we earmark it to be pigeon paired against a property or against the entire portfolio to bring the negative cash flow down. So it, it's, it's a strategic purchase that uh, you're going to um, add um, uh, a, a dwelling to or adding an extension to to increase the cash flow. And this is part of diversification. Which That's right. Yes. Um, more questions? Um, what have we got? Question down here. Yeah. Uh, my name's Chris. Hi, Chris. Um, so y the topic we're on is 100% uh, focus, and uh, should always be diligent. And I'm happy to admit that I'm like the opposite of that. <laughs> I actually am always wracked by guilt that I don't like manage my properties properly. Um, and I'm well, I'm an engineer. And I, I like to think 
lazy in that I want, I want to do as much of it as automated as possible. I don't want, if I, if I can automate something, I would like to automate it instead. Yeah. So just for you guys, I, I know that um, uh, Right Property Group um, offers a great uh, Google, uh, Google Sheets. It's open for me to data entry on my on my data entry. But uh, if, do you guys know anything about like any maybe businesses or services? Not even if it's not technology. Is there services out there that? Yeah. So, is there another way to shortcut the shortcut? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really surprised that you're being an engineer um, that you haven't got this thing planned out for the next 4,000 years, um, which most of our engineer clients do in the room. Look, I, I would suggest that, yeah, I, th I think there's no simple fix to it. You've just got to get in, get in amongst it. You've got to get involved. There's, there is no program out there today, and there's hundreds out there, that will tick every box for you. Even if you combine them all together, there is no program out there that will automate this for you because there's a massive human element within investing, whether it be the relationships that you create with agents when you buy them, or with the relationships that you have with your property managers to who are gonna manage them on a daily uh, basis for you. I would suggest you create yourself a checklist and create a habit. Like truly, it, um, I would bet you anything, the amount of money that you're leaving on the table or that you're costing yourself by not taking this on, um, like it's your own money even though it is, would be significant over a period of a year. It, uh, look, I'm very much the same. I'm the biggest procrastinator that you'll ever see with everything in life, excluding property. Like, then you got my attention. But when it comes to detail of managing my portfolio, I don't pretend I'm, I'm the best at it, but I surround myself with, you know, with people that you know, do as I say, not as I do. My, you know, my wife's really, really good at that. Um, my other Sorry, wife, my other that, wife that Vic's really, really good at that. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, but we, we use people, we use each other. I won't look at my portfolio because I'm too vested in it. I can't see what I'm looking at. Vic will look at mine and I'll look at his portfolio and we'll pick it to pieces and, and adjust it. There needs to be a human yeah. element to it. It has to be. Yeah. Don't rely upon technology. We're not at that stage yet. And don't think that you can automate this stuff. A lot of it is good and, and I'll talk about this and, and, and Michael who's here who helps me manage my portfolio. It's often good not being automated and, and being an engineer you're very questioning, right? You're naturally that way inclined. Why is this working this particular way? If you automate stuff and think it's going to manage itself, you're going to lose contact with it and, and as we've spoken about... And context. A, and context. It's not mm. a passive investment. If you need to do stuff manually, you're going to know the numbers more intimately and, and the way I run my portfolio, I built my own spreadsheet. It's a pretty good spreadsheet, right? Which, which I use to measure whether or not my portfolio, if there's any alarm, alarm bells, um, whether I need to be looking at anything, whether it's doing well or indifferent. You know, you've got to build these mechanisms yourself to allow you to intimately know what your portfolio is doing. And if you do that, and you do that right, it's got to save you a lot of time anyway. You just need to create your own system for doing it. And there are, there's some good stuff in the marketplace, let's be fair, that allows you to do it. But if you start losing that connectivity, you're going to lose focus, and focus is the key. Yeah, thing. and I think uh, one of the things that we can't uh, um, ignore is that the chain is as strong as its weakest link and the weakest link is a human being inputting data to get onto your rental statements so they're scanning in your your invoices and all that. and it, it could be a simple mistake where someone else's invoice is attached to your property because they're similar names or, or someone someone's just got the number wrong 
And unless you're physically looking at it and, and you've just automated everything to just simply match uh, you know, uh, your, your bank accounts in terms of how much money you've got in the bank and how much it's going out, you're not going to pick up that's, that you've actually paid for someone else's hot water system. Yeah. I've done that. I've paid for people's insurances, hot water systems. Um, got past me, but then I'm not the. Didn't get past the next layer, I suppose. How many how many properties have you got? <coughs> Good, nine properties. That's awesome. How long how how long does it take you to manage your portfolio a month? Right now, I'm doing it every text, once a year. Yeah, it's crazy. We need to talk. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Oh, like so, with nine properties, and just, just going on what. But, you know, um, just that reminds me. Uh, last time Victor and I talked, uh, he did give a great tip, which was um, to uh, just set up a uh, another email account just for yeah. properties, which yeah. are, which are done, which I'm very Good. happy about. Just blew my mind that I didn't think about that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I do check my email every day, and I do respond to that kind of stuff. I do, but. It's just that I don't know every detail. So, so Chris, I own a few more properties than you, uh, and I've got a routine where every Sunday I look at the dedicated email, and I look at um, the if it's a if it's the week that I'm getting my rental statements, I spend time ma matching the rental statement against what I'm expecting in my bank account, and really doing doing a quick scheme, and and for me it takes me about uh, on on average on a monthly basis to manage my entire portfolio with someone else putting in the data in the Google sheet, it takes me about two hours at the max. Mm. Right? And it's not two hours spent all at once. It's the whole month, two hours at the max. And, and it's, a, it's a sizable portfolio. So uh, for you with, with, with the nine properties, it should really take you, if once you get into the routine, it should really only take you maybe 15 minutes a week, if that. Right. But the uh, the biggest thing is to catch up with the with the data input on the on the Google sheet that we've provided, and um, then the rest is fairly easy. The, yeah. the longest time it takes is just the data entry. There, there might be two years worth of catch up, but once you're there, it's 15 minutes a week. It's easy. No, it truly. I, w I would probably suggest every month a portfolio of nine properties. I'd say a couple of hours in terms of at the end of the month when your statements come through and everything like that. Obviously, there's going to be emails that you answer in between, but I, I'd really, really suggest without any sort of disrespect that you get a bit more serious than, than what you are at the moment. So this is a bit of a, a longer... Uh, bit of a longer podcast. So which is cool, it? and I think no, no one's walked out of the room, so everyone's pretty engaged, so we'll keep, <laughs> we'll keep we going. It's going to be a, a special, <laughs> extra long bonus episode because it's the first one of the series, Victor, um, but we won't set this up uh, for our listeners as uh, mm -hmm. the standard. We'll get back to sort of the 40 minutes we normally cover, but uh, just another question. Let's, uh, let's, let's go for it. Thanks, Vic, also for that tip because I set up my own email address uh, for the properties and that's been fantastic because it's um, made my life so much easier. So that was, that was a great tip. Uh, I wanted to ask each individual person, what's the number one thing that you're looking for in a deal when you're going out there and purchasing your property? You guys go first and I'll summarise. No, no, all right. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> there you go. I, I, I'll, I'll go first. I, I look at it in terms of, I take a negative approach and say, okay, if this goes wrong for me, will someone else buy it off me? That's the first thing I look at. I look at liquidity, the first thing, as, as absolute certainty so that if the market turned, if my circumstances changed, if my um, uh, match for the property in my portfolio changed, 
I need to be able to offload it without having to, having to um, you know, lose money. And so that's the first thing I look at is liquidity. Um, I, would, I look at two things, but they're bookends. So I look at uh, value in terms of what the property is, but I look at an exit strategy. So very similar to what Vic is or what, what Vic does, but it's more about in the worst possible scenario of an economy, of the property, of the local area, whatever it may be, in my life, is this going to be put me over the edge or can I survive it? So is there survivability amongst the property? Because if it can survive during the worst possible time, everything above that is a bonus now. And we're not talking about fundamentals because that's an obvious thing. So yeah. the two bookends. And, and Steve and I have a, a mantra that if it's got three ifs, we out. We're out. And Scientific. <laughs> that's good. For, for me, when I, when I look at a deal and, and um, you know, I want to make sure it's the absolute best property that I can buy at this point in time. And, and that's how I look at a deal. And, and you know, I obviously use a buyer's agent. I use a buyer's agent to talk about it a lot. Um, uh, for me, I'm all for running a business, spending money that can do stuff better than I can. They can do it more efficiently. They can do it faster. They can do it more effectively. And when it comes to property, they can buy better than I can. So f for me, when I look at a deal, I want to know, and, and I work, work with Steve, I go, all right, Steve, why is this so good? So I want to challenge that deal at every single given time. And, and we have a lot of chats around it. So this comes back, you can't outsource, even though if people here, they're using a buyer's agent, whether these guys or someone else, a lot of good buyer's agents out there, but you can't outsource that responsibility. So when I look at a deal, I need to be confident with it, but I've got to stress test it really hard. So I, I encourage you to do the same. And he does. Then in terms of stress testing, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah because everybody's different levels in terms of stress and the way they test it is quite unique and, he, and yours is very, very um, harsh. This is going is back good. to I'm a, I'm a problem client, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, any other questions? I'm giving a bit of a hard time, but yeah. yeah, yeah it, it's, it's actually really, really good because he, like as I said, he's, he's quite relaxed and, and, and you know, blasé. Um, but when it comes to numbers, like he, he's right into it, which is really, really uh, refreshing for, for people like us because mm. the last thing we want as, as, as property advisors or strategists or buyers agents, whatever it may be, is someone to just to say, whatever you say is a good thing. Like, I, I hate it. It's like, well, come on, get amongst it, get involved. You know, do some diligence, you know, give yourself that sleep at night factor so that you can you know, tick the boxes rather than just say whatever you think is a good thing. That's a, that's a dangerous yeah, scenario. Yeah, and this goes to that point number two we made around what good investors are doing right now. They don't buy for buying sake. So, you know, you've got to make sure what you're buying today is the best property on the market for you right now. And uh, not all properties are going to be right here. Yeah. You know? It's good. Just another question over the, over the, uh, over the side here. Covering quite a lot of ground here. It's good. So, it's good. Yeah. It's like a year's worth. <laughs> Hey guys, um, you often say that when you sell a property, you're selling the potential gains in the property. Outside the consolidation phase, would you ever consider selling a property like PG yeah. at a boom period? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, would we consider outside of the consolidation phase? Would we consider selling a property maybe like a boom period? So there is, as long as that dollar is going to have a reason for selling, it, you know, there's always got to be a reason for something. It's not about maxing out at the top of a market and then just saying, well, I'll, I'll bank that and don't know what I'll do with it. There's got to be a reason for it. So if we take Sydney as an example, and what I'm about to say does not mean that everybody should go out and sell their Sydney, their Sydney properties. 
Um, but there, there would be some circumstances where someone should entertain the idea of cashing out of particular properties within certain corridors of Sydney so that it may leverage them into other areas which are just coming out of the bottom of a cycle, so on and so forth. Or if your personality dictates to you that um, my property's doubled in five years, there's going to be six years of ten years of no growth and I'm copying a 3% yield, I'd rather sleep at night so I'm out of here, I've done all right. There's, quite, there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, you just got to find the reason why. But the reason can only be, um, well, you can only come to the answer by having a lot of consultation with the people that are around you. And that's not just people like us. It might be real estate agents within an area. It might be... Um, the you know, accountant. The, your accountant. Massive. Absolutely massive because a lot of people sell property thinking they're making a huge profit. The time you got your out costs and your CGT, it was, it's not worth the exercise. So to give you, a, to give you a really good example, um, as I look around the world, anyone got, uh, uh, was part of the purchase in Charlotte Park block of units in here as I look around? No? So about a year ago, we purchased a block of units up in, I said the area, damn, um, up in, in Queensland. You can edit that out, don't worry. <laughs> and we paid $233,333 each for them. And a guy that missed out on it, one year later, is willing to pay us $310,000. Think it is, $310,000, each for them, which is quite a significant bit of equity growth uh, in terms of one year. And he wants to buy the whole complex, of which we control. And we're saying, well, the time that we take into account our in costs, our out costs, and potential CGT, it's, it's not worth the exercise to be able to sell it. You know, So you need to do your numbers. And often the one that, thing that they forget about is tax. But I'm not, never, never say never. I'm happy to sell. There's always everything's for sale at a price. We haven't really touched that much on it tonight. We've been in previous podcasts on, on investing insights we have done. It's around goal setting. So you know you need to understand why you're investing in property. What, what are you going to do with this portfolio at a point in time? Now, if you start selling off assets now for immediate gains, if you can replace that with like assets or better assets, makes sense to me. But if you're just trying to cash out for the opportunity to try and speculate in another market, um, you need to get back to the basics and you know you make prop you make money in property by holding property long term. Um, flipping property, people if they do it for a living and there's some guys that do that really well, you make all gains out of it. But I haven't sold a property um, yet. Uh, you will yet. But you know, you say that we, we, we had an offer on a, a property that, that we own, um, that the person yeah. that lived in it said they wanted to buy it and I went, No. You know, it's in Western Sydney, I'm not going to replace it. Um, with something which is delivering really great yields and it's still got room to grow, so. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of useless information, which is, I reckon it's pretty cool. Uh, so if, if we talk about time in the market and time in the market and, and how it's really, really important, yeah? So I'm just gonna correlate this back to the US stock exchange and we were only talking about this today, so that's a really good question. So if you go back and you've invested in the stock exchange, and it's the US, I think it's the S&P they call that or whatever it may be, over the last 20 years, this is how strong time in the market is. Over the last 20 years, you've been in there for every day over the last 20 years, you've had 8.2% return. That's during crashes, recessions, GFCs, bear markets. They're annualized, 8.2%. Yeah, right, okay. pretty cool, yeah, 8.2%. If, however, this is really, really important, if, however, you missed the top 20 days of trading, over 20 years, that return drops down to 2%. Top 20 days. If 
you've missed the top 30 days, you've lost money over 20 years. So this is why we often talk about these traders and flippers and we've bought and sold heap of property just you know, because it was pretty cool. But if you don't get it right, you're missing out on a whole heap of potential growth. And this is why important, this is why you know, I debunk the, 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 the commentators out there that want to talk about, don't worry about time in the market, it's timing the market. It's a pretty good example why. Like it's, it's really, really important that you just hang in there for as long as you can. Good stats. Okay. Right. We've got a whole bunch of other questions. What we might do, Victor, is um, let, let's, let's get them answered and put them on the website, I think. Yeah, we can go. do that. Um, okay. Some good stuff here around the market. And I think a lot of the questions we get is, that, what do you think about this market or should I be investing in this particular market? So let's put some meat around that and, uh, and answer um, a lot of these other questions that we had by Rima. I think this worked well. We should do this uh, a little bit more often. Um, mm -hmm. Done well. Yeah, type stuff. So, um, a bit uh, longer than usual. It is a bit longer than usual. And, um, you know, I thought it was all right. So plenty of good information. One of the, one of the best things about doing my job, I, I get to chat property with, with guys like this uh, all day. So I, you know, in terms of the education um, box, I can tick that, right? I get to make educated decisions because I'm always working my education. I instill that same spirit into all of you, whether it's, it's here tonight or, or our listeners. Um, one thing you can control is how educated you are about the market. And if you choose to outsource that, and if you choose not to invest in that, you're probably not going to do as well as you can do. But um, Victor, what do we do if anyone has questions or they want to contact you guys? How do they yeah, do so, that? So um, if they want to contact us, you can uh, uh, contact us via Facebook page or if you want to send us a question, it's questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. And you've been doing these Tuesday night um, <coughs> sessions for many, for many years well now. well over eight years now. So, so how, do you, how do you track you down? Um, so yeah, again, it's on, on the Facebook page. So when we have an event, um, uh, usually it's on the first Tuesday of each month. Um, in Sydney, in the in last Sydney, Tuesday. Yeah. The last, last Thursday. Thursday of every month in Melbourne. In Melbourne, okay. yeah. yeah. But it's always on our Facebook page or just uh, reach out to us. We'll send you the invite. Nice one. Okay, well, that's our uh, first episode of Series 2 of Investing Insights with Right Property Group, Steve Victor. Thanks, I enjoyed it. We'll see you next it's month. Awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.